It's big, yes. It's bold, yes. And we can get it done. All right. Let's get her done, Mr. President. Get her done. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, not yet. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is your friendly neighborhood broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. Up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth, helping to make you and me moderately smarter. (laughs) Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, a, a, a bit later in today's show, Desi Doyen will get her crack at Joe Biden's newly introduced $2.25 trillion once-in-a-generation American jobs plan to rebuild infrastructure to withstand our worsening climate crisis in our latest Green News report. Hello, Desiree. Hello. Yes, more of that sexy, sexy infrastructure. Yes, special coverage, special sexy coverage today (laughs) in the GNR. Uh, But hey, speaking of our climate crisis, uh, a few important items that we could not fit into our six-minute GNR today Thanks to our special coverage of Biden's new proposal. So thanks, Joe Biden. (laughs) The state of California hopes for a wet March miracle did not materialize after all and hopes for a dousing of April showers may as well be a mirage at this point, according to Associated Press today. The state once again appears in the midst of yet another drought. Just a few years after the punishing five-year dry spell dried up rural wells, killed endangered salmon, idled farm fields, and helped fuel the most deadly and destructive wildfires in modern state history. And it looks like, yep, we appear to be going there again out here in California, as frankly, I can only remember a few days of rain at all out here over the past year. And you would not be wrong about that. We are uh, looking at the second dry year in a row, says Jay Lund, a civil and environmental engineer, professor, engineering professor at the University of California, Davis. 
In California, that pretty much means we have a drought, he said. In fact, the entire West is actually gripped in what scientists consider a mega drought that started back in 1999 and has been interrupted by only occasional years with above average precip. In California, the heaviest rains and snow comes in the winter months, but not this year. Well, it's 85 degrees outside today, so it kind of feels like winter is over. About 90% of the state is experiencing drought conditions at this time, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. Much of California's water comes from mountain snow in the Sierra Nevada that melts during the spring and summer and feeds rivers and streams that in turn fill the reservoirs. But the Sierra snowpack traditionally holds its peak water content on April 1. Yeah, the California Department of Water Resources on Thursday released the fourth snow survey of the season. And, of course, as you're saying, snowpack is below average across all of California. And surface moisture moisture and groundwater are exceptionally low. Last month, the survey showed 60% of the average. I know they did that new one this week. I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I... I, But they ain't good. They ain't going up, yeah. No. Uh, Four years ago, when then-Governor Jerry Brown officially declared an end at the time to a statewide drought emergency, which we all remember out here very well, he said uh, conservation should continue, even though he had declared an end to the emergency, he warned that, quote, the next drought could be around the corner. Well, hey, guess what? When and if, by the way, you start hearing again about a new round of massive California fires and other related problems, well, remember that you heard it here first. The 2012 through 2016 drought required sacrifice from uh, pretty much everyone at the time. Brown had ordered a 25% reduction in water use. Residents took shorter showers, flushed less frequently, and let their cars get dirty. Yes, <laughs> we did. Uh, many homeowners replaced their lawns with artificial grass or desert succulents at the time. But the good news is those sacrifices during those years, as well as infrastructure investments at the time in new reservoirs and other water retention stuff. That means that now the uh, those restrictions Uh, are less likely this time around because municipal supplies currently are in much better shape and water use has not returned to previous levels. That, according to Katrin Chappelle of the Public Policy Institute of California, yes, Dick Cheney, you can conserve your way out of a crisis. (laughs) There's a blast from the past. But hey, we played John Ashcroft singing When the Eagles Soar the other day. So, you know, move on, Brad. (laughs) Anyway, the Metropolitan Water District, which uh, sells water to public agencies in California, serving about half the state's 40 million residents, currently has a record high water supply. That is thanks to that uh, those water saving measures we put in in response to the previous drought. However, efforts to restore depleted groundwater aquifers or to keep rivers, uh, river flows high and water temperatures low enough for the winter run Chinook salmon, which almost went extinct in the Sacramento River during the drought. All of that 
is not quite as far along, unfortunately. The state's Department of Water Resources has already warned 40,000 water rights holders that they will probably only get, ready for this, 5% of the amount that they requested. Wow. That, of course, is sure to kick off another round. Again, you heard it here first, another round of angry farmers from the central part of the state showing up on Fox News demanding that they be given more water. And they pretend furious Sean Hannity claiming the state is putting tiny fish ahead of people. And we've seen this before, right? And right-wingers demanding that Governor Newsom be recalled for failing to make it rain. Uh, Will there be talk on Fox News about why it did not rain? And why our climate has become so dangerously hot and dry? I suspect not, because over at Fox and in the Republican Party... They like their viewers and their voters stupid and uninformed, just as the fossil fuel industry pays them all for. And Lord knows they are getting their money's worth. And yes, Joe Biden's American Jobs Plan infrastructure investments would help those California farmers in improving their water management. And yet I just have a feeling that Fox and the Republican Party will be going uh, all in to prevent the passage of Biden's bill for some reason, even though it would actually help their disinformed viewers and constituents. The state has, uh, since the previous drought, um, after about 100 million trees died and vegetation remained dry as a result, Uh, Since 2015, the state has experienced the largest, most destructive and deadliest fires in recorded history. The the drought itself caused about $10 billion in damages statewide uh, without direct loss of life. But the wildfires that came after, after the drought, caused a record of more than $55 billion much more than $55 billion in direct property losses and 175 direct deaths, with possibly many other deaths and economic impacts due to weeks of widespread air pollution from the smoke from those fires. As David Dayan noted on the broadcast yesterday, those are just some of the many external costs of climate change and Desi, I know you talk about this all the time, uh, the external cost that Biden's proposal now, while seemingly expensive up front, will actually help pay for itself in the years ahead. So, you know, if, if we don't have to spend uh, tens and hundreds of billions to uh, on emergency repairs after fires and floods and so forth. Repairing the same properties over and over and over and over again. And medical expenses for all that smoke in the air and uh, everything else. So, and economic losses from disruption of business and economies in those regions that are affected. Correct. Not just in California, but everywhere. Everywhere. So, so far, so good, by the way, when it comes to Biden's uh, proposal, at least according to the White House today. Early polling underscores the overwhelming bipartisan support for components of this plan. Just yesterday, a morning consult poll showed that by a two to one margin, registered voters backed a hypothetical $3 trillion infrastructure package. And a data for progress poll showed that by a 35 point margin, voters wanted to pay for this plan by asking the wealthy and big corporations to pay their fair share, just like the president is calling for. 
It's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki uh, on Thursday on the early popularity, at least, for Biden's proposal, which is even more popular, according to these new polls, when people are told that it is going to be paid for in part by raising taxes on big corporations. Uh Uh-oh, the people like that. And in uh, more related good-ish news from the Biden administration uh, that did not make the cut for today's GNR, but I think is worth noting as the house cleaning, the uh, fumigating, the long overdue de-Trumpifying continues now in the Biden administration, according to Lisa Friedman, no relation, at The New York (laughs) Times. Michael Regan, Joe Biden's Uh, Recently confirmed uh, new administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency on Wednesday fired dozens of independent scientific advisors. Well, that doesn't sound good. Oh, wait. Uh, Many of them were installed under the Trump administration. And many of them were not scientists. The uh, scientists and quote-unquote experts sat on independent boards which play a critical role at the EPA, advising the agency on everything from air quality standards to pesticide use. In a statement, uh, Regan said, uh, quote, resetting the science advisory board and the clean air scientific advisory committee, cleaning the air on that committee, so to speak. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Uh, quote, will ensure the agency receives the best possible scientific insight to support our work to protect human health and the environment. There's an idea. Regan added that he intends to, quote, reconstitute, restore, and create new committees to better address EPA priorities. Supporters of the ousting noted that Donald Trump's administrators transformed those advisory boards in ways that courts actually found to be illegal, unlawful, and prevented many independent scientists from serving, instead packing the boards with industry-funded specialists. Chris Zarba, who previously served as director of the EPA's Science Advisory Board, called Regan's purge necessary. Zarba said it has never been, uh, never been done before, but he argued that the advisory boards, quote, have never been in this situation before. So I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. He said, I don't see any other alternative. Trump's uh, first EPA administrator, speaking of uh, names that are blast from the past, (laughs) do you remember who it was? Yes. Scott Pruitt. There's a name we haven't heard since he disappeared. He like vanished from uh, life itself, it seems. Oh, he's now lobbying in Oklahoma. So is that what he's doing? Yeah. Back at that gig. Yep. Well, Pruitt barred anyone who had received grants from the agency from scientists. Right. From actually serving on its advisory boards. That was helpful. Because, you know, they give grants to scientists, but they don't give grants to lobbyists and corporations. So those guys were more than welcome to come onto the board. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you want to have political appointees from regulated (laughs) industries on your advisory board? That you're supposed to be regulating. Yeah. Of course. So when he barred anyone receiving those grants, that led to a firing of a whole bunch of academic researchers and kept others from applying for the positions. A court later ruled that that policy was illegal. Nonetheless, the agency did not restore the scientists that they had fired. So now, in firing all of them and allowing them all to reapply, 
Regan is constitu- will reconstitute the boards with a fresh de-Trumpification of the scientific advisory boards at the EPA. Naturally, this idea has been opposed by uh, some of the industries who had previously captured the EPA to do their bidding. The uh, decision was criticized by the American Chemistry Council. <laughs> they see some regulation from the EPA. Oh, they used to. From they used the EPA. to. Not for a while now. No, maybe they will soon again. So, uh, you know, uh, one uh, some some board mem- former board members, by the way, appointed uh, during the Trump administration, said that the move was as political as decisions made under the Trump administration, which seems hard to fathom since uh, the decisions made by Trump's EPA were not only political, but they were also illegal as a court ruled before the court's rulings were then completely ignored by the very same Trump EPA. (sighs) Getting good advice on science is very important, just as getting bad advice can be horribly destructive and dangerous, and when it comes to the great state of Texas, bless their little hearts, it can be downright stupid. We just learned this week, more than a month after the cold snap in Texas had led to a shutdown of the state's privatized, deregulated power and water systems, that the death toll in Texas from that winter storm was actually double what had initially been been told, with about 111 Texans having been killed, many of them from hypothermia when heat and power systems got shut down amid this record cold spell because Texas leaves it up to the private utility companies if they would like to winterize their power uh, power plants and their power lines and their natural gas wells and their other power generating sources. It's up to them if they would like to winterize that stuff. As it turns out, those uh, profit-based companies uh, prefer that people die when the power shuts down Uh, for lack of winterization, rather than, you know, eat into their profit margins by winterizing the system. Sorry. They they liked that gamble. Yeah. Sorry about that, Texans. But it's not as if Texas officials did not get advice from experts about all of this. And this time I'm putting uh, quotes around the word experts. As NBC News reports uh, in an exclusive today, As millions of Texans went without power for days during the February storms, Texas oil and gas regulators were circulating talking points from a noted climate skeptic blaming system failures on the state's embrace of wind and solar energy. Ah, that's where it came from. Yes, it did. This is according to emails that were obtained by NBC News. The talking points come from a guy named Alex Epstein. He's author of uh, something called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Oh, that guy. (laughs) You know that guy? (laughs) Yes. Uh, So his talking points made their way to the Texas governor's office and to the state's oil and gas regulator, known as the Railroad Commission of Texas, which, by the way, despite its name, the Railroad Commission no longer deals with trains. Instead, it regulates oil and gas and coal in Texas. Apparently, its job is... Now to railroad the residents of Texas, uh, it seems, as to why they are getting screwed and, yes, even killed thanks to their bought and paid for efforts 
of the Railroad Commission to prop up the dangerous dying fossil fuel industry. One railroad commissioner amplified the talking points from this uh, Alex Epstein dude on Twitter, while another commissioner's aide forwarded them to the uh, top Texas oil and gas lobbyists to help everyone, you know, sort of get their phony stories straight, apparently. The talking points said there was a lesson to learn from the Texas crisis that wind and solar power are, quote, often useless when you need them most. (laughs) That's what Epstein was telling him. Uh, In fact, independent fact checkers uh, have repeatedly said that the state's failure to weatherize along with its disconnection from the national grid triggered a domino effect that forced the massive blackouts as power plants went offline. The biggest losses of generation by far came from natural gas, failing wind power, which the state also failed to weatherize even though wind power is used in many of the coldest climes on Earth without a problem. Like Antarctica. That the, the, the failing wind power was minimal in this, a min, played a minimal role in what happened. Now, because Texas is the only state whose electrical grid is isolated from any other states or regions, they are uh, allowed, because of it, to not follow federal interstate regulations that might otherwise require them to do things like enact protocols that, for example, would prevent their power systems from shutting down when it gets cold outside. But, you know, freedom and all of that. Had they been connected to other power grids, they also could have imported power when their power when their own power sources went down. Like El Paso did. And had no problem during the blackout. Because they're connected down there to like a Mexico grid, if no, I No, well, they're connected it's to the Western grid. To the Western grid. But they're the only place, I think, in the yes. whole state. Um, as to blaming wind and solar, well, wind makes up about 15% of Texas's power generation. The vast majority of the failure was in the thermal sources like nuclear, natural gas, coal. All of those power plants froze up, essentially. Still... The narrative about frozen wind turbines, that's the one that took hold in the far right media. Texas regulators uh, repeated this stuff. Other elected officials went on TV and on Twitter to blame the renewable energy for the failures. Governor Greg Abbott, he went on Fox News on Sean Hannity and said, quote, our wind and our solar got shut down. Really, Governor? Anything else get shut down that might have caused a problem? Less than uh, 12 hours earlier, before all of that, however, the talking points from Epstein landed in the inbox of Abbott's chief of staff, reading, quote, here's the bottom line. The root cause of the Texas blackouts is a national and state policy that has prioritized the adoption of unreliable wind and solar energy over reliable energy. That was the talking point. That's what went to the governor. And that is a lie. And sure enough, that advice then made it onto Fox News and everywhere else. Epstein uh, runs an outfit that he uh, think tank, he calls it, called the Center for Industrial Progress, advocating for the continuing use of fossil fuel. He's repeatedly cast doubt on whether there's a scientific consensus about climate change. <laughs> is, the, is the jury in on that yet, Des? I haven't... The jury is way in, oh, and, and this guy, he basically says, well, sure, fossil fuels helped lift many communities and countries out of poverty, so now they must remain shackled to the pollution and the devastation of fossil fuels because it once helped them and they can never leave it. 
The uh, emails uh, that were obtained by NBC via the Watchdog Group documented, that's uh, our old friend Lisa Graves' old site. Thank you, Lisa. Um, cast the light on what climate advocates and good governance groups have long decried as the cozy relationship uh, between Texas elected officials and regulators, lobbyists for industry and, and proponents of fossil fuel. And they document, I'll link to this uh, story, uh, these Epstein talking points that went from the, you know, the governor's office, then went out to the uh, railroad commissioner's and to then from there to the uh, lobbyists, the, the Texas Oil and Gas Association, the right wing media echo chamber. Yep, that's how it works. And that's how the message got out there within hours that everything that was going wrong in Texas was due to uh, wind and solar failing the Lone Star State. <sighs> uh, Epstein said in an email that uh, to NBC that his uh, talking points are, quote, a free service I offer pro-energy, pro-freedom elected officials <laughs> who are interested in my views on energy policy and messaging. Unlike all of those uh, elected officials, I guess, who are against freedom uh, and also maybe against their constituents unnecessarily dying. Epstein uh, said his, his diagnosis of what went wrong in Texas, quote, has proved correct. Really? That's what he says. <laughs> wow. Brazen to the end. Uh, 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 yeah. By what standards? You know, I don't know. The standards of his own freedom-loving imagination, I'm guessing. Hey, speaking of freedom-loving information, uh, let's uh, imagination. Let's <laughs> let's take a break here. Come back and return to our old friends in uh, Georgia who, you know, we warned them, but now they are getting quite a bit of blowback for those uh, voter suppression bills that they're... Uh, Putting in place down there in the Peach State. Lots of news on that straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. <laughs> so, so 80s. <laughs> Better late than never in the nick of time. Yep. It took so long to give me your love, but it's right on time. I Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I, I don't know if it's better late than ever. You, we report, you decide, as they used to say oh. over at Fox News. <laughs> Dozens of the most prominent black business leaders in America are banding together this week to call on companies to fight a wave of restrictive voting bills being advanced by Republicans in at least 43 states. According to The New York Times, the campaign appears to be the first time that so many powerful black executives have organized to directly call out their corporate peers for failing to stand up for racial justice. And yes, good for them. 
The effort, led by Kenneth Chenault, a former executive chief executive of American Express, and Kenneth Frazier, the chief exec of Merck, is a response to the swift passage of a Georgia law that makes it harder for black people to vote. As the debate about that bill raged in recent weeks, most corporations, including those with headquarters in Atlanta, hello Coca-Cola, hello Delta Airlines, hello Home Depot, they did not take a position on the legislation, at least not a public position. Some of them are trying to say, oh, we were working secretly behind closed doors. Anyway, Ken Chenault said there is no middle ground here. You are either for more people voting or you want to suppress the vote. Sounds about right. The executives did not criticize specific companies. Instead, they called on all of corporate America to publicly and directly oppose new laws that would restrict the rights of black voters and to use their clout, their money, their lobbyists to sway the debate with lawmakers. The letter was signed by 72 black executives in the days before the Georgia law was passed when we were trying to warn and warn about it. Almost no major companies were speaking out against the legislation, which introduced stricter uh, voter ID requirements for absentee balloting, limiting uh, drop boxes, barred the distribution of food or beverages for people in certain areas who are forced to wait for hours online just to vote on Georgia's terrible, unverifiable computer voting systems. And also the measure expands the legislature's power over county elections boards, allowing partisans uh, to basically partisans at the state election board to remove those county boards of elections entirely, which would in turn allow them to undermine or even overturn election results at the county level as the uh, GOP majority in the legislature sees fit. So big corporations based in Atlanta, including Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, Home Depot, they had offered general statements of support before this bill was uh, passed last week. They offered general statements of support for voting rights, but none of them actually took a specific public stance against these bills before before. Well, it was passed by uh, both the House and Senate and signed by Governor Kemp in about seven hours last week, just like lightning. Ken Frazier told the uh, Times uh, as part of this campaign, he said there's there seems to be no one speaking out. We thought if we spoke up, it might lead to a situation where others felt the responsibility to speak up. The group of leaders with uh, support from the Black Economic Alliance, they bought a full page ad in the Wednesday print edition of The New York Times this week. The executives are hoping that big companies will uh, prevent dozens of similar bills that are now moving through other states from becoming law. Frazier said the Georgia legislature was the first one. If corporate America does not stand up, we will get these laws passed in many places in this country, he warns. Well, he is right, of course. And that response from uh, from that group of black executives may have had a very good and very immediate effect on Wednesday over the past 24 hours or so. 
let's start here with Delta CEO Ed Bastian. He issued a company-wide memo on Wednesday criticizing the, quote, unacceptable new Georgia voting law following mounting backlash over the executive's statement last week saying that the bill had, quote, improved considerably during the legislative process. That's what he said last week. And it did, by the way, it did improve during the legislative process. They removed some of the most objectionable stuff, but by no means did they remove all of it. In the letter that uh, Delta CEO Bastian sent to employees, he said that although Delta and other major Atlanta corporations had, quote, some success in eliminating the most suppressive tactics that some had proposed. Oh, they're taking credit. Yes, they are. Wow. He uh, he needed to make his opposition to the law more direct. <clears throat> Do you think? He said, quote, I need to make it crystal clear that the final bill is unacceptable and does not match Delta's values. The right to vote is sacred. It is fundamental to our democracy, and those rights not only need to be protected, but easily facilitated in a safe and secure manner, said Bastion, a week later after this bill had been signed. Well, he's correct. Glad he noticed, finally, after it had been passed, and, and, and you did nothing about it, Ed, even though your company is based in Atlanta and relies on favors that you receive from elected officials. You know, those people supposedly elected by the public who are now being prevented from voting due to this bill. Bastion indicated he uh, reversed course from the company's previous muted opposition after having time to fully consider the provisions of the bill, which included engaging in conversations with leaders and employees in the black community, which seems to me he could have done in advance of the passage of the bill. And by the way, he could have, he, it, they don't have to be in the black community. There's a lot of us who are not in the black community who are, uh, you know, offended by this and who have been trying to send up the alarm about this. And some of us aren't even based in Georgia. So better late than never. I don't know. Bastion said it's evident that the bill includes provisions that will make it harder for many underrepresented voters, particularly black, black voters, to exercise their constitutional right to elect their representatives. He took further aim at Georgia's new voting law by arguing that it was based on falsehoods of widespread voter fraud in the battleground state in the 2020 presidential election. Bastion said this is simply not true. Unfortunately, he said that excuse is being used in states across the nation that are attempting to pass similar legislation to restrict voting rights. Well, thank you for noticing, Ed. And I'm glad he's noticing, uh, you know, what's going on beyond Georgia, because Georgia is its own problems. But there is more of this stuff coming. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, he concluded in his uh, letter to employees that Delta will make good on its commitment to protect voting rights by working with leaders across the aisle in states nationwide. He added that the company will also keep the John Lewis Voting Rights Act in Congress on its radar. He can do more than keep it on its radar. He can let the uh, Republicans who are opposing it, he can let them know that if they don't pass that law, there will be none of that sweet, sweet corporate money coming from Delta. 
Uh, he said, I commit to you that as we move forward, Delta will continue to do everything in our power to hear and protect your voice and your rights, both in Georgia and nationwide. But his initial statement shortly after the passage of the new Georgia voting law last week had prompted a uh, boycott hashtag boycott Delta trend on social media. Aha, there you go. There's the real reason that Delta suddenly decided to give a damn about voting rights. Because not doing so would hurt their bottom line. Delta's tweet uh, promoting its flight to Iceland was apparently bombarded with responses to the company's lack of condemnation for the state's voting law. I mean, good, but I do kind of feel sorry for their social media person who's probably some poor intern somewhere. Uh, Well, yeah, I hear you, but uh, I don't, you know, too bad. True. I mean, companies really do not like being embarrassed on Twitter. I can tell you that. Apparently, the uh, the Delta response to the black executives has now subsequently kicked up a firestorm. And this is all just within the past 24 hours. Republican legislatures, uh, 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 legislators may now be rethinking their voter suppression bill. Well, no, not really. Apparently, that's not what they were thinking. Republican legislators are trying to now punish Delta for standing up, even belatedly for standing up for democracy. I saw this happen uh, late on Wednesday night, which is the last day, which was the last day of the legislative session in Georgia, which they call uh, sine die. Sine die. There you go. The end of the session. Uh, Yeah. So they were racing to beat the clock at midnight, the end of the session, to pass whatever bills they can on the final day. Uh, When Georgia Democratic State Rep Josh McLaurin tweeted, quote, the Georgia House just passed a jet fuel tax at the literal 11th hour of sine die as transparent retaliation against Delta for speaking out against the Republican voter suppression bill. So, yes, the bipartisan jet fuel tax deduction that they get to make, it's it's hugely important to Delta in the state. But Republicans, in retaliation, as punishment, because Delta dared to have a different opinion about a bill that stifled democracy, for Christ's sake, they used, they abused their power to try and punish a private company. To try and cancel a private company. Does that help? If I call it cancel culture, (laughs) will Republicans be troubled by it now? The Atlanta Journal uh, picked up on the story. They said that uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and other GOP leaders say they were caught off guard by the corporate opposition and the Georgia House retaliated by narrowly voting to end a lucrative tax break on jet fuel during the final frenzied days of the legislative session. And I love that they were caught off guard by uh, the corporate opposition. Actual voters who were very loud and very clear about this, they, they were ignored. But our corporate funders, well, they have a problem with this bill. Why didn't they tell us? You didn't tell us. So now we'll have to use our powers as elected officials to punish you for opposing us, for having a different uh, opinion than ours. Happily, as uh, Greg Sargent notes at the Washington Post today, the House move fizzled over in the Georgia Senate. But he notes what he calls this extraordinary quote from the GOP House leader in Georgia, 
also via the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, quote, they like our public policy when we're doing things that benefit them, said House Speaker David Ralston, adding, you don't feed a dog that bites your hand. Mm. You got to keep that in mind sometimes, he said. Sergeant says that uh, the, that it could not the message could not be clearer. If you bite us, we will stop feeding you. Translation says Sergeant Republicans tried to rescind the tax break as direct retaliation for criticism of the law. The point here, he says, is not to lament Delta's plight. Delta will continue enjoying its tax break after all, which has traditionally been backed by lawmakers of both parties. Delta's opposition to the law came only after voting rights activists accused it of not opposing the law enough. Rather, he says, what's at issue is the conduct of GOP leaders, these ostensible public servants who are supposed to make decisions like this in the public interest. Sergeant calls that a quaint notion expressly employed they expressly employed their legislative power to punish a private company for criticizing their efforts to restrict the franchise and for defending the rights of fellow Georgia citizens underscoring that point the Georgia House GOP leader then went re uh, before reporters and conspicuously declared he had just cracked open a can of Pepsi which, of course, looks like retaliation against Coca-Cola, which is also headquartered in Georgia, which, yes, also released a belated statement condemning the new law on Wednesday as the floodgates now appear to be opening against Georgia Republican lawmakers. As Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy on Wednesday added the company to what is now this growing list of corporations with Georgia ties coming out against the uh, new voting overhaul law uh, shortly after both Delta and then Microsoft issued stern condemnations of the uh, battleground state's new law. The Coca-Cola CEO appeared on CNBC to join the corporate chorus now rallying against the law. I invited you on because I was really eager to hear your response as one of the biggest companies in Georgia to the call. From Ken and Ken, more than 70 black executives, to do more to directly oppose this Georgia legislation. How do you react? Yeah, no, I completely, uh, completely agree. I mean, let me let me be crystal clear and unequivocal. Uh, this legislation is unacceptable. Uh, it is a step backwards, uh, and it does not uh, promote uh, principles we have stood for in Georgia uh, around broad access to voting, around voter convenience. Uh, about ensuring it, uh, election uh, integrity, and this is this is frankly just a step backwards. We've spent many decades uh, pr promoting uh, within Georgia a better society and a better environment for business, and this is a step backwards. And we're very clear on that, uh, and our position remains the same. Uh, this legislation uh, is wrong uh, and needs to be remedied, and we will continue to advocate for it, uh, both in private uh, and now uh, even more clearly in public. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're clear now, James, but th there are questions as to why you were not this clear after the law passed, before yeah. the law passed. Yeah. I know you said you were disappointed, but yeah. why didn't you just come out publicly and oppose it before? Thank you. We have always opposed this legislation. Uh, that we have a long track record uh, of working uh, in Georgia with alliances on our own, 
uh, account with legislators, with stakeholders to improve legislation. And we were doing so uh, again this time. Uh, but the result of this legislation uh, in an area that's particularly sensitive and important for Georgia has not resulted uh, in something that is acceptable, we believe, for the citizens of Georgia. Uh, so we're coming out even more uh, clearly saying that this is wrong uh, and it needs to change. Uh, the reality is many things are improved and done and achieved uh, uh, in private without uh, having uh, to take a public stand. But in this case, it has not worked clearly. Uh, and so we're being uh, more uh, uh, forceful in our public position, um, <laughs> even more than we were earlier this week. Uh, and we'll continue to advocate for change in Georgia. Uh, we have always opposed this legislation. You just haven't heard about it. We've done it privately. We're, we're, we're coming out even more clearly than when we didn't come out at all before because <laughs> we were working in secret. By the way, I don't know who that CNBC journalist was. But good for her. Yes. Good for her for pressing him on this. You don't usually find that at business channel CNBC. Uh, as to Microsoft, by the way, uh, hours after Delta CEO Ed Bastian spoke out about the uh, the law on Wednesday morning, Microsoft decided to jump in and condemn the, uh, the, the legislation. Only a week later. Yep. They announced uh, last month, by the way, that they plan to expand their presence in Georgia to create one of the company's largest hubs in the country in the coming decade. So, yeah... Better late than never. In a statement on Wednesday, Microsoft President Brad Smith said the company is concerned about the law's impact on communities of color. Every voter, as well as its employees and their families, he Smith nodded to the dozens of black corporate executives who took a stand against the new Georgia voting law, saying that Microsoft shares their views and that the company's opposition to the law's, quote, harmful provisions is, quote, not only right, but essential for the business community. Well, that's it. I guess Georgia is now going to have to outlaw Microsoft also, cancel them. Uh, it's going to be uh, Apple only for the peach state. How's that? <laughs> oh, wait. Apple CEO Tim Cook on Thursday joined the mounting calls from corporate leaders against the new Georgia voting restriction law. In a statement to Axios, Cook pointed to the black community's long history of fighting for the right to vote. American history is the story of expanding the right to vote to all citizens, he said, and black people in particular have had to march, struggle, and even give their lives for more than a century to defend that right, said Cook. He said Apple values the right for every eligible citizen to exercise their right to vote, even if it takes us a week to say so. He said, quote, we support efforts to ensure that our democracy's future is more hopeful and inclusive than its past. So, you know who looked at all of this now going on over the past 24 hours? All of this horrible publicity and corporate hell that is raining down now on Republicans in Georgia. You know who looked at this and thought, yeah, that sounds good. We'd like some of that attention that Georgia is getting. Just to bring, the, you know, today's show around a full circle. Uh, that would be the Great state of Texas, of naturally. Course. Sorry, naturally. Desi. Yeah. Bless their little hearts. Texas <laughs> GOP-controlled Senate on party lines passed major changes to its election code that will make voting more cumbersome for people in Texas's urban communities as well as for voters in need of assistance. The vote 
brings the uh, legislature closer to enacting some of the dizzying array of restrictive voting proposals that Republicans introduced in the Texas State House this year. Attention now turns to the Texas House, where another significant bill is moving through that uh, through the legislative process there. Several of the measures of the Senate bill, known as SB7, took aim at the way Harris County, that's Houston, you know, Democratic-leaning Houston, uh, the way that they made it easier to vote in 2020. Well, that can't stand. The legislation bans drive-through voting that uh, Harris County had set up during the pandemic and prohibits election officials from encouraging mail voting. You can't do that. And by the way, it's already next to impossible to vote by mail anyway in Texas, at least for anybody under the age of, uh, I think, 65. It also limits in-person voting to uh, uh, to to bar to ban to cancel Harris County's convenient 24 hour voting centers that they innovatively opened last year for the first time. The legislation would uh, hamper ballot access for minorities in other ways, too. It will result in uh, polling locations being shifted towards white suburban communities and away from minority-heavy urban regions. Other sections of the bill would loosen the reins on the actions that can be taken by partisan poll watchers. Uh, the bill also requires that people uh, who, who uh, voters bring to assist them have to fill out additional paperwork. It allows poll watchers to use video cameras to record voters who are receiving assistance while they're at the polls. So, uh, hey, Coca-Cola, you guys sell soda in Texas? How about Delta? You you guys fly to the Lone Star State? Just asking right now for a few million angry, democracy-loving Americans. Better late than never? How about now? Don't be late. The Green News Report is next. I'm Brad, and you are listening to The Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. You know, I had more on Georgia. There's always more on Georgia. I had, <laughs> didn't have time is. to get to it. Had more on Georgia and Brian Kemp. Who knows? Maybe in our next thrilling broadcast. Uh, until then, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. It's a once-in-a-generation investment in America. Unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. In fact... It's the largest American jobs investment since World War II. Green News Report special coverage. President Biden unveils sweeping American jobs plan to rebuild the nation's infrastructure and take on the climate crisis. That special coverage straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Democrats want to sell this a $3 trillion infrastructure uh, plan, which includes 
includes energy efficiency in buildings, 5G, uh, rural broadband, retraining of workers, lots of stuff, roads, bridges, ports, rail lines, redoing the electrical grid, vehicle charging stations. It sounds very ambitious considering the last guy couldn't build a wall. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, at long last, at long last, finally, an infrastructure bill that you can be excited about. <laughs> oh, definitely. President calm Joe- down, calm down there. <laughs> President Joe Biden unveiled a sweeping infrastructure jobs plan in a speech in Pittsburgh on Wednesday. His American jobs plan proposes spending $2 trillion over eight years to rebuild America's crumbling infrastructure, part of his Build Back Better pledge, a long list of projects that economists project would create millions of jobs in the short run and strengthen American global competitiveness in the long run. It would also begin to address accelerating climate impacts that already are costing Americans billions in damages every year and set the nation on the path to a net zero emissions economy by 2050. It is truly huge with a 25-page White House fact sheet, but here's a broad overview. It would rebuild and update America's decaying physical infrastructure, repairing roads, bridges, ports, airports, railways, highways, schools, water systems, flood controls, and more with a focus on climate resilience, modernize the electric power grid, and set a national clean electricity standard to phase out fossil fuels and reach 100% carbon-free electricity by 2035. Replace all lead water service lines. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, and ensure all Americans have access to affordable broadband internet service. It would transform the nation's largest source of greenhouse gas emissions, our transportation system, away from fossil fuels by boosting domestic electric vehicle manufacturing manufacturing, adoption, and investing in a national electric vehicle charging network by 2030. Use the power of the government purse to revive U.S. manufacturing and domestic supply chains by electrifying the entire federal vehicle fleet and invest in advanced clean energy research and development to boost U.S. global competitiveness and productivity and counter China's moves to dominate the global clean tech market. That sounds like a lot. It is. It would also employ American workers to plug abandoned oil and gas wells and coal mines and ensure a just transition for fossil fuel communities. It would pay farmers to sequester carbon and restore soils, establish a civilian climate corps to employ people to restore landscapes and ecosystem services, clean up pollution, and prepare communities for resilience against coming global warming impacts. Biden would fund this infrastructure jobs plan by increasing taxes on corporations. Uh-oh. Economists project the proposal will create millions of good-paying jobs across the country and would reduce the national debt. Well, that's fine, but you're going to raise taxes on corporations? Well, now it heads to the meat grinder of Congress. Uh-oh. Biden said he welcomes Republican input, but Republicans have signaled they plan to block it as too expensive. Of course. But economists say that in general, every $1 spent on public investments like this returns roughly $2 in economic benefits. Now, scientists are warning ever more urgently that time is running out for us to act with the speed and scope necessary to curtail the worst consequences of man-made climate change. Biden's proposal establishes the groundwork for equitably decarbonizing the U.S. economy by 2050, a multi-generational challenge. Biden closed his speech in Pittsburgh with this. Imagine what we can do. Imagine knowing that you're handing your children and grandchildren 
a country that will lead the world in producing clean energy technology and will need to address one of the biggest threats of our time. That's what we'll do. If we act now, in 50 years, people are going to look back and say, this was the moment that America won the future. Imagine that. Now all we have to do is get the progressive Democrats who say this is not nearly enough and the conservative Democrats who say this is too expensive and completely ignore the Republicans because they're not going to go along with anything. Other than that, get this through Congress, get this through the filibuster in the Senate, and everything will work out just fine. Easy peasy. For much more on that story and all of them that we couldn't cover today because of it, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. We are the Yeah, let's get to work. Indeed. And one thing I want to point out is yeah. since Republicans are already whining about how expensive this uh, this plan is. Oh, how course, unlike them. <laughs> I know. How unusual. Um, just to point out that numerous studies uh, from academics, from insurance companies, from Citibank even, you know, those lefty greenies at Citibank, yeah. all have come out with various, very comprehensive yep. studies saying that the cost of inaction, the cost of failing to act is far far greater than any action we could take right now. Far greater to us, to the taxpayers, but not to the fossil fuel industry who uh, pays their rent. This uh, is true. Uh, for Republicans. This is true. That's that's all about. Make no mistake. The people like it, the Republicans, and the uh, fossil, gas, fuel, fossil industry. fuel company yep. don't. That's it. All right, we got to get out. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's lively program, I hope you will... Download it for free anytime at bradblog.com, and I hope you will share it with everyone else you know. Yeah, let them know about the Bradcast. We'd love to have them here, even if they don't agree, especially if they don't agree with us. Anyway, uh, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And, oh, yes, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us on your public airwaves until the fossil fuel industry comes around, comes to their senses, and starts paying us off as well. <laughs> Could happen any moment. Until then, uh, that's it. We will uh, see you out there until we see you back here. Next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>